acceptance is the most important thing you can do. Now, that's not admitting defeat or, or like or accepting what happened to you in a negative space. It's just saying this is what it is. It's not personal, but it is what it is. The brain injury happened. You have to accept it. If you deny it, you can deny it for six months. And then uh, six months later, you'd be square one. Welcome to Helping Organizations Thrive. Uh, today, I have uh, Dan McQueen on the show. Uh, good. I say good morning, good afternoon. Uh, I know you're in Vancouver. <laughs> I'm in the UK. But anyway, good to see you, Dan, uh, and welcome to the show. Hey, Julian. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, good to have you. And just to tell the audience a little bit about you. You are a survivor of two emergency brain surgeries. I've had to relearn how to walk, talk, and smile again. And you are now a keynote speaker on resilience, incremental improvements uh, that compound over time. And these can lead to significant results. And we're going to get into um, exploring your, your brain injury, what you've learned from that, and then looking at how the power of taking the next steps. But before we get into that, uh, Dan, I'd just like to ask, what do you love about what you do now? Well, thank you for having me, Julian. I appreciate you having me on the show. Uh, what do I love about what I do right now? I think it's, um, as a keynote speaker, as you mentioned, I think when I drop a little nugget on stage or on in front of a crowd and someone just goes, gives me this, this, oh, I never thought about it that way, look. And I'm like, that's what I'm after. That's what I'm chasing down is that little, the little nugget that I'm trying to uncover. Because um, I've got a lot of time to think about my perspective and my, my, um, reaction to what I've faced and what I've been through. Like I got a lot of nuggets and little gold that are buried into there. So when I reveal one and someone gives me that reaction, like, Oh, that, that impacted me so much. Or they'll talk to me after the talk and be like, damn, this, this broke it down for me. For instance, um, growing up, Julian, and I never made my bed ever growing up. Okay. Never made my bed. As a speaker. Now, one of the biggest hacks I have is make your bed in the morning. And the amount of people that have told me that Dan, I make my bed now because of you from your talk, like it is ridiculous. But it's a it's a symbol for life and a symbol for your day and a symbol for like how you're getting yourself started and your best foot forward, if that makes sense. Um, so I think those little comments there probably make what's worthwhile for me, Julian. Yeah, that's interesting. The interesting about making the bed. I think that the US Marines or some uh, elite group talk about the simplicity of making yourself, making your bed and creating that mindset of completing tasks, doing things and almost overcoming things almost immediately as you start the day. There's something about that. There's some real power in that. Um, is there any, it's interesting when you talk about, you know, the impact you have with the gems you might share on stage. Have you, when you do your talks, is there things that you learn yourself as you're explaining things, as you, uh, are unpacking it do you, do you get those gold moments for yourself in you know, in the, in those moments yeah i think we do a lot of q a i like doing a lot of q a with my talks because i think that's the most natural part of it i can't really mind you i've got my own talk tracks and my own perspectives that i will try to weed out the q a session i'll try to steer the conversation to that but sometimes the questions are so off piece that i have to kind of go off piece to chase down the answer if that makes sense and that's kind of cool for you to explore that so there's things that I will I will look to uncover on stage as well. It's not like um, I'm not set in how I respond to things, but it's uh, I'm open to receiving it if it's out there to be be found. If that makes sense, Julian. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it'd be helpful for, for the listeners to to just almost go back to share that sort of your personal journey and the circumstances that led to your your brain injuries. Uh, it'd be good to to start there if you want to sort of share that and how you share that. 
Yeah, for sure, Julian. So thanks so much for bringing that up. Um, it's a real great topic to talk about. Uh, so I had a brain hemorrhage in 2014 in London, England. What was happening was I was having these headaches. They were getting really, really poor, really poorly over a few weeks. I was taking painkillers like candy for them. My head was pounding. It was getting atrociously bad. I went to A&E, which is accident emergency, as your group knows, but it's for those in North America, it's A&E is accident emergency. They thought it was vertigo and they sent me home. Uh, so I went home on the one in the tube the next day, went to pick some of my friend on hill. On the tube over, my vision went black. I couldn't see anything. Goodness me. Then we went to the platform after a few minutes, it came back. I went back to Amy the next day. There's something wrong here. You guys gotta check this out. Ran the same test. We think it's vertigo again. But they told me on the way out, if the headaches were to continue, I could always get my eyes checked in an optometrist, right? I was like, okay, cool. That sounds good. Headaches came back next day with ferocity I haven't felt before. And I found myself in Mr. Patel's chair, the optometrist. He was midway through the exam when he stopped the exam. He excused himself from the room and he came back a few minutes later with a sealed envelope and he gave that to me. He goes, you need to go directly to Moorfield Hospital, which I did. Well, Julian, tell a lie. I stopped at home first to grab a Jack Reacher book by Lee Child as I forget I've been for a bit of weight. A phone charge and a bite to eat. Made my way to Moorfield's Hospital. They ran the same test and asking me up to Charing Cross Hospital. It turns out I had a dangerous buildup of pressure in my brain caused from a non-cancerous system I had. Turns out I required emergency brain surgery tomorrow. Turns out my world's about to change altogether. So a frantic back and forth with folks in Canada. Left the last text message that I wrote to my mom being, I'll see you soon, mom. Think I'll have a new haircut next time I see you. <laughs> is, is that your sort of your humor on, on life how to deal with things yeah dark humor is what i go through here julian and it's uh so mom's in the air flying to london on june 21st 2014 i'm on the operating table something goes horribly wrong and i have a massive bleed in the brain a brain hemorrhage they think the cyst burst when they operated so my mom lands and finds i'm in critical condition i was in a coma for four weeks but was in and out of consciousness for months after this. Things were dicey, touch and go. When all was said and done, I was learning how to walk, talk, and smile again. And that's where my life kicked off, Julian. But yeah, dark humor is definitely what's carried me through this process. I'll be honest with you, Julian. That's a big part of my vibe these days. Real dark, real sinister, real, 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 real gnarly <laughs> stuff. Just, just take us back to when all that, you know, you blacking out, you're getting headaches and going backwards and forwards to the hospital. What was going on? Because, you know, I guess trying to relate this to people who might be not facing exactly what you're facing, but they might be facing some challenges that may feel slightly uncertain, slightly, you know, not trying to show what's going on. How did you sort of navigate that retrospectively when you look back on, on that? I mean, whether that was, did you do that well or is there some things you learned from that point? Just be understand that. What was going on in your mind at that point before you went under the operating uh, table? Yeah, well, I knew something was wrong, and that's the biggest thing. Like, I trusted my gut. But Danny twice, they sent me home twice. The optometrist is the one who caught this, right? But I knew something was wrong, and I went to the optometrist. If you know, you know your body well. Like I trust my body now instinctively. Like I believe that full heartedly. Um, 
You got to trust your gut and just go with how you feel and what you feel is right. I knew something was wrong here. The vision on the tube going off, like that's not casual. That's not a chill vibe. That's like, <laughs> I was terrified, man. Like it goes in the tube. Like, what, what do you mean? I can't see. I got on the platform and waited for a few minutes. It came back, thankfully. I went back to Andy the next day. I'm like, look, there's something wrong here. We can't see anything wrong with our tests. Okay. And then uh, optometrist caught this, right? So like, trust your guys, what I'm saying. Like, that's what you got to do. Always trust your gut. You know your body better than anyone else. So when you when you you woke up after four weeks, you're you're in a coma. Um, what what again? You, I mean, I don't know how it, what you felt or what you saw or observed at that moment in your whole body. What what was what was going on? Give us give us a flavor of the the insights that were going on internally uh, with you. Yeah, thanks. So I woke up with my mom, dad, and brother on the bed kind of trying to communicate with me and I'm trying to talk to them, but I can't talk. I had a tracheotomy removed and it took me a few weeks to get my voice box back, which is another story I'll tell you in a few minutes. But uh, I'm trying to talk, but I can't talk. And I go, get me a pen and paper. And they give me a pen and paper and I write on the pen and paper, I go, get me out of here. And I show it to Cam, my brother, and I go, you. Get me out of here, bud. I had tubes coming out of me. My one eye is wonky as hell. Little did I know I'd be in the hospital for months after this, but I was like, this looks really expensive. I was a Canadian living in London. I wasn't sure I'd be covered by the medical space. I was because I had a European passport. But I'm thinking my first thought is get the hell out of this hospital, man. This looks like a bad vibe. Um, but going back to talking, Julian, if you don't mind, I'll share this one story about learning to, walk, learning to talk again. So the next thing that the doctor said I wouldn't be able to speak because my vocal cords got chewed up from the tracheotomy and the breathing tubes were put down my throat and like it was really chewed up and my, my vocal cords were gone. So it looks like he's not going to be able to talk again. And I had a Kiwi nurse and she was uh, a tough, tough old gal and, and she took me down to the park and kids be playing football across the park and she goes, Dan, those kids across the park, they don't think you're good enough to talk, Dan. They don't think you're good enough to talk. And I kind of found out that's a trigger for me. And I found my voice pretty quickly. And I yelled some profanities. I was begging your listeners, but I found my voice. But like, you got to kind of find out what motivates you and, and ride that wave. That little thing that she did unlocked a huge part of my vibe is that, you know, I'm really motivated by that. You don't think I'm good enough to be here or do this? Like, let me show you I'm good enough to be here. Now, that motivation is, is not a very holistic and happy place to have it come from. Right? It's quite dark and twisted and spiteful and vengeful, but like, don't judge the motivation. If it works, ride that wave down, baby. I've now tried to transition my vibe to more of holistic and service because when motivation comes from spite and like proving you wrong, it burns out after once, once you prove them wrong, the motivation has gone. Like it was never there. Uh, but now I'm trying to transition that more to service. And that's why I'm doing the speaking in the podcasts share my perspective and share my vibe. And just like your success is my success. And that way my, my motivation is an end when our conversation stops, it will carry on for years to come. When I'm trying to beat you, Julian, with all due respect, once I beat you, it's over. Mm. That's interesting. Isn't it? That, that almost that motivation she was instilling you was, you know, trying to prove them wrong. Basically, wasn't she? She was trying to make a, 
uh, uh, trigger you to almost your ego and to try and yeah. sort of knock you down. And again, that's probably not helpful. But where do you think you got that? I mean, obviously it was helpful because it, it came a start for you. And obviously, um, where do you think you got that from you? Is that in terms of our interaction with you? And you, you could actually work with that? Because I know when I'm coaching somebody, I won't use that, but I might bring challenge to people in terms of what they're doing, why they're doing it. You know, it's not just about encouraging people uh, and helping them to flip the script or reframe things. Actually, sometimes it's challenging their thinking, challenging their decisions just to make sure they do think and do the right thing for them. Do you think she was just going to come in and was challenging you? No, I mean, my parents built this lovely like, little dossier of me, like this little pamphlet, because I couldn't talk for a while, right? So I was like this this blob on the bed, like, who is this guy? And they created this little dossier, like, about Dan McQueen. Who is Dan McQueen? What does he do? What does he love? What is he passionate about? And in there, I guess a lot of sports came up, and I played a lot of sports, pretty active guy, quite competitive. And I guess she kind of ripped on the fact that she knew I was a competitive sportsman and, like, played lots of sports, and, like, that would probably be a trigger for me, and I'm sure, sure as hell it was. Like I tell me I'm not good enough to be here and I will bend the world to prove you wrong, man. Like I will bend the world to prove you wrong. And like that, that works so well to get me going and get me motivated. Like I yelled across the park and the voice came back and she was like, I'll get him talking. And she made me sing, man. I wasn't talking. I was singing. I was like yelling across the park. It was wild. (laughs) What a wonderful nurse. So insightful. Bold call on her part, though. I'll be honest. It's a pretty bold move on her part, but it worked well. It worked well. And um, in some ways, you've probably got her to thank that she kickstarts something. So what do you think in terms of motivating people who are in that place where whether they lose hope or they just can't see uh, the future of what may happen or overcome something, what do you think is a better motivation? Um. Interesting question. I would say don't judge the motivation at all. Don't try to make it come from an area that you want to come from. Ride the wave that comes at you. There'll be certain waves that come your way in your direction. Like you can ride this wave down to get out of here or you can hang tight. And like if you're you're waiting for the wave because this is not the right way for me to ride. Well, there may not be another wave for a while, bud. Ride the waves you got. If it's a spiteful, vengeful, I don't think you can do this, prove you wrong kind of vibe, ride that wave down. As I mentioned, I'm now trying to transition that motivation primarily from like proving you wrong to now service. Mm. And that's been a very active approach because I watched the the documentary The Last Dance with Michael Jordan. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this all, Julian, but it's quite big in North America. One thing I really noticed in that documentary is how spiteful and vengeful he was post-career, like life mm. after. And like, I don't want to be this vengeful, bitter guy. Like Michael Jordan's the best basketball player that ever lived, but like, he's a bitter old man. And like, I don't want to be that guy. Now that's not to say like, I'm on the same level as Michael Jordan. Your word's not mine, Julian. Your word's not mine. <laughs> but um, I'm trying to be very proactive in how I approach motivation now and try to make it come from a more holistic place. But when you're in the thick of things, when you're fighting for your next one, don't judge the motivation, ride the wave that comes and worry about lining up later on in life. So if you're in a dark place, just ride the motivation that comes to you. Don't try mm. to make it. It's not from this place because it's like you can't judge the motivation and you can't manufacture motivation to come from where you want. It comes from where it comes from. Mm. Yeah, I talk a lot of, with, with my clients is to get real clarity on, on their purpose. Because um, when things are tough or difficult, 
your purpose doesn't change in essence you know it's beyond you it's it's bigger than you it's bigger than the situation and it can be a helpful motivator north star to keep you going and encourage you um just in terms of purpose did you were you aware of your purpose pre brain injury and I mean just to see what that was if you, if you were you might not have been I don't know and then post brain injury what do you think your purpose is now just a short interruption to the episode to let you know that this podcast is brought to you in association with LogiCorp, who are experts in HR support. Are you worrying about employee performance, absences and leave? Are you struggling with attracting and retaining the best talent for your business? I personally know the people at LogiCorp, and they can support you with every people issue you may face. So focus on what you do best and let LogiCorp deliver your HR support as an extension of your business with a tailored, flexible monthly retained package that is right for you and your people. And they are offering an exclusive offer for the listeners of this podcast, where you will get the first month's free in an annual retained contract. To get this offer, quote, helping organizations thrive. Now back to the episode. Pre-injury, no. My purpose in life was having a good time. I was out late nights, chasing girls, having good nights, late night parties, late for the party, not taking life too seriously. I was living abroad in London when this all happened, right? This all happened in London, England. I uh, lived there for 10 years. So, like, I was living life, enjoying life overseas. Post-injury, with 100% certainty, my purpose in life is to showcase a way through, to showcase how you can get through these difficult situations. I want to be the catalyst you can point to, well, this guy made it through this. If he can make it, I can make it. Like, I'm no better. Like, I did these tests a little while ago, Julian. I'll share the story with you in your group. At this brand new clinic in Surrey, BC, this world-class organization. Okay, they had some footballers over from the UK the week before I was there. They couldn't tell me who it was because it was someone quite prominent in the UK football. Um, for non-disclosure, they couldn't tell me. Okay, cool. But it's quite a well-known institution, right? They ran these tests to see where my brain was at after the brain injury. I was expecting there to be some like some big defi- I've had two brain surgeries, right? Like some big, big gaps in my brain scans i was expecting this right the results came back as shockingly average well average they told me average and i go well shockingly <laughs> average because shockingly average i i added the shockingly they didn't tell me it was shockingly average but i i wrote like in my mind I'm like shockingly average i'm shockingly average and i was a bit disjected by this because like i've recovered so well julian and like i've done so well against all odds that, like i would have thought there'd be some big outliers some big hairy outliers of like well, you're phenomenal in this area, but you're really lacking in this area. But like, no, shocking the average for a two brand new survivor guy. But thinking about it more and more, I realized, you know, that's perfect because that means my success is accounted mostly to mindset. I've been nose over the toes of the board, toes over the nose of the board the whole way down, leaning into this mindset with full steam and making this work, which means I'm no smarter than you or anyone else in this call. I've only been successful because I've leaned into my mindset full stop. And that means that you can do it too. That means that you can do this too. No matter what happens to you, you can do this because I'm no smarter than you. I'm no more gifted, no more talented. I'm just more, maybe more driven and more focused, but you can do that. You focus in in mindset and drive. You can, you can train that really, I think, which is like my, my mission in life now is to like show you a way through. And we'll talk about later on in the call today, Julian, but uh, the next step, right? My life is about getting you to take the next step. Everything I do in my life is about taking the next step. And you're stronger than you think. And like, 
I'm going a bit heavy here, Julian. I realize that, but like I had, I had eye surgery maybe two months ago, Julian, for um, trying to correct double vision, which I still have today. Third surgery I had in the eyes, first one in the left eye, and it's changed my whole perspective of life. Like it's like life was like this, and now it's like this. But it's really throwing me off because now I'm turning my head a lot to the right. I'm sorry if I'm doing that now on the call, but I can only really see with my right eye. I'd like this parameter here. And we found out yesterday that it's because my left eye moved a little bit. It's got some movement in it, which just made me, uh, my brain focus on it too much. Um, and my dad asked me initially, like, well, Dan, do you regret having the eye surgery? And right off the hop, I said, of course, it's changed everything. It's changed everything. But like this experience in life, like well, upon reflection, I realized, you know what? I don't regret having the surgery because I took the next step. I took the next step and that's all you can do in life is take the next step. When there's an opportunity to take a step, you got to take the step because that that's what fuels the improvement, the process, the, the grind and the improvement is taking that next step. And that's how I've gotten as far as I have today. So I, I don't regret that at all because I'm only here because I took the next step. Mm. And I think like that's such a beautiful way to look at life is always take the next step. And even though it's a bit of an adjustment now, it's going to take some time to get used to this. We're not, we're not closing the door on more surgery. We might have more surgery in the eye, but like right now it's, it is what it is. And like, I've got to make my peace with that. And I have, because I've taken the next step and I, and my mindset is I'll always take the next step. So that's a long way to say my purpose is to show you to always take the next step. Julian. Mm, I like that. I love that. And it, I love it how it's, it's so linked to how you've worked this through. And just going back to when you woke up and you realized you couldn't speak, um, how did you get to that place of thinking, I'm just going to take a step here, I'm just going to move forward, and whether it's starting writing or get me out of here, what was going on in your mind at that point? And how did you, I guess, navigate those, that probably shock that, that you couldn't speak and, and it found it really difficult? Because um, often we get into situations where, can be really difficult and really tough and almost that shock response and fight or flights the fact that you want to just get out of there because it was just a bad vibe so how did you then navigate from that point onwards yeah so like let me let me be clear like i've got these whimsical expressions and like mindset perspective now of me joining the job looking back on life when you're in the moment when you even think of things you're not thinking about like oh what's the lesson here like you're looking about how to survive mm. Don't try to make it about the lesson, like make it about surviving, get through the moment and then connect the dots. When you look back at it, once you're through the initial situation, hundred percent, I was looking to survive and make it through this, but I knew early on that it was not what happened to you, but how you think about it, that matters. Cause the brain didn't kill me. I couldn't speak for a while, but I get the voice back. But like, I realized like, look, you've had a brain hemorrhage. You're not in a good way. Like this is not an ideal situation, but like, you're still alive. You're still kicking which means you can navigate the space. But it's what you think about it that matters, right? And that, that's one mindset that I did allow myself to have in the hospital in the thick of things. It's like, it's not what happens to you, but how you respond to it that matters. That's an Epictetus through line, like a Stoic philosopher. Uh, but I think that's so key for having this because that means you can navigate this, but you can't allow yourself to go down the, what I call the pity spiral. And that's the woes mean this isn't fair, this isn't fair. Because, Julian, you're right. It's not fair. Like, life's not fair. No. 
like life's not fair and life doesn't care what you think about it. It doesn't matter. Like, Oh, this never happens to my friend over here. All this crap's piling up on me, but like, it doesn't matter because wishing something didn't happen. is not an adequate way to resolve it or, or get mm. through it. Wishing something didn't happen is not like a proper way of getting through this. Right. So I just described my recovery like a W Julian. The first setbacks down here, I recover back up to like getting back to back to work. So if you're a rehab, you're of uh, occupational therapy, vocational therapy, speech language therapy, I'm climbing my way back to work. I get back to work two half days a week, right? We're jumping ahead a little bit here, sir, Julian. I realize that. Um, a year of working to get back to work for two half days a week, right? And then. I don't show up for the tube one day. I meet my mom at the tube before work and I go to the tube and she go off on her walk. And she goes back to my flat and finds me unconscious on the floor. Lying there like out of sorts and we call 999 and I go to the hospital and I have emergency brain surgery. And I wake up for the second time in the hospital to hear the beeping noise of the heart rate monitor going off. Beep, beep. Beep. What happened? What happened? What happened? Well, Dan, you had a second brain injury. Second brain surgery, rather. And I go, all oh, my progress is watching. Really, yeah, we got the blockage. So like that, that second W is not where the first W was doing, but much lower. Because I've been working for a year to get back to the office, a year to get my life forward and away from this dark mm-hmm. place I was in. Mm-hmm. And it took everything to keep my mindset pure at this stage. Like, don't don't be down the woes me spiral, the pity spiral. I call this like avoid that at all costs if you can, because that's I don't know how you recover from that because I never allowed myself to go down the woes me spiral. If that makes sense, Julian. Like, I can't speak mm. to that because that's not my experience. I knew if I went down that road, it'd be really difficult to pull it out of that dive, that nose dive. So I think it's not happening. To you, it's happening for you. Like it's not you're not that special. You're not that gifted. Like it's just happening. It doesn't mm-hmm. you're, not, you're not special to have it happen to you, right? It's just happened. So like get over yeah. yourself and crack on. Like it's, it's just. Not I came. Up, I came. I came up with a, a phrase. I was doing a talk on resilience, and yeah. this phrase just popped out in my head. It was you know, your life is unfair, but it's not personal, and it, it helps people reframe that. Just what you're saying there. Literally, things will happen to us. But it's not against you. It just 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 happens. It's not a personal thing, and it helps us think. Okay, and it reframes it in a positive way. Um, and I think also not to, as you say, not to go down that spiral of you know the pity and almost what I should have done, could have done all this because you're just getting held into the past. And it's and that sounds very twee, doesn't it? You know, look at it as what are the lessons, what are the opportunities. But when you get there, that's what you need to start thinking. Because when you think that way, you, you do your, your mindset becomes a lot more positive and you start to see the silver linings. You start to see those those wonderful things that now, you know, now I look at you and you are now, and I love it how you said you're in service to other people. Now you're inspiring other people. You had a brain, two brain injuries that impacted your life, but now you are inspiring others. You're helping other people who, not with just brain injuries, I'm sure you are, but in terms of other life things and challenges and probably having a greater impact than you were previously. Oh, for sure. 
And Julian, I'm reminded of like the statistic that I heard that um, the odds of you being a human being are 400 trillion to one. Okay. <laughs> 400 trillion to one. Right. And I've got, you know, you all got this, we're all given a hand of cards, right? This, this card was in my hand, right? I couldn't have done anything to mitigate this, right? It was going to come up no matter what. And they play this card and you go, Hey, you have the brain hemorrhage. Live for a little while, play the second card. I have a second brain injury. Like, I'm not going to muck the whole hand because the, I don't like these two cards. Like, play the hand, man. The odds of you having a hand are ridiculous. Like, I love what you said there about um, it's not personal. Like, it's not personal, but it, it just happened. The card was in my hand. It wasn't personal to me, but it happened. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, talking in terms of, you know, that sort of mindset of taking the next step, people might be listening right now who... I've had a, they've dealt a bad hand, whatever you want to call it, some challenge, some difficulty. Uh, it might have been even creative. They might have even created it themselves potentially. What what I guess lessons or learnings you found in that's helpful for people to to take that next step. What what things do they need to think about uh, a process or a way of thinking that will help them in those next steps? Yeah, this is going to bite a bit hard for some people for sure. I'm going to tell them. I'm going to say what I say next acceptance is the most important thing you can do. Now that's not admitting defeat or, or like, or accepting what happened to you in a negative space. It's just saying, this is what it is. It's not personal, but it is what it is. The brain injury happened. You have to accept it. If you deny it, you can deny it for six months. And then uh, six months later, you'd be square one. But I'm taking steps from square, like, from this moment onwards, I can build myself up for the next six months. Acceptance is so key. And that's tough to hear because it's like, well, you don't know my story, Dan. It's like, yeah, look, I know. Tough, tough shit. Like, it's like, it happens, man. But you got to accept it because you can't improve it unless you accept it. You can't take a step forward unless you accept it. If wishing something didn't happen is not an adequate way to resolve it. You have to accept it and then improve it. And that's tough to hear because it's like, you don't know my story, Dan. It's like, well, hey, man, look, it's tough. I know. But if you don't accept it, you can't improve it. Hope that makes some sense for you, Julian. That makes perfect sense. I think that's just almost getting that reality situation, isn't it? A reality of where you're at and then taking responsibility a little bit. I think often, you know, we can almost want to shove the responsibility at somebody else's fault. I grew up in this family or this happened to me and we – we're not taking responsibility, are we? We're not sort of owning it. And therefore, if you don't own it, then you won't be able to deal with it and move forward. It's interesting. I was, I was moving back to from London to Vancouver last or two years ago. And uh, there's a kid at the airport. And I guess he had, he was, uh, something was, was wrong with him because his dad was there to help him like move some bags and stuff. And he goes, some, there was an issue with the bags. Right? And he goes, it's not my fault. It's not my problem. He goes, it's not my problem. And his dad's trying to get him like, no, but you're going to have to deal with this. And I wanted to speak up and like offer some perspective because I feel like I've got a special place to do this, but I, I kept my mouth shut because it's none of my damn business and it's probably really rude if I say something. But I go, look, mate, it's not your fault, but it's your responsibility. Like, it's not your fault the bags are misplaced or lost or, or going to some other place, but it's going to be your responsibility to figure it out. And that perspective, like, it's not your fault, but it's your responsibility is so key. Mm hmm because it causes causes action doesn't it this is what we're talking about it causes to to move forward action to, to take those next steps otherwise 
you end up staying still and doing nothing. Yeah, like it's just like you're not that special, not that gifted. Like stuff happens in life. Like you got to adapt to it and deal with the consequences. Like it's, it's, I don't know. It's it's, and this take a long time to learn this lesson, right? I'm not. I'm saying this is easy to do for your listeners. Like don't be like, oh, acceptance, responsibility. Like screw you, Dan. It's like look, this took me a long time to learn these lessons, and it took two injuries, brain injuries, to learn these lessons. What I'm telling you now, what I learned, like if I knew this at the start, I could have gone a lot further ahead than I am now. But I accepted that off the hop. It's just like, look, acceptance is key. It's not your fault, but it's your responsibility. Like it's not my fault the brain injury happened. No, but guess what? Here are your cards. Figure it out from now on. Like that's you gotta start from this point on and move forward. It's like if you can understand that you can be much further ahead than you would otherwise be. Yeah, I, I talk a lot about um, how resilience is not just about grit, determination, but about uh, actually taking some time out to learn from the challenges or the failures or whatever you want to term them uh, <clears throat> and really do that learning loop. Uh, what, are, what have you found helpful for you? Uh, you talked about sometimes in the moment of a challenge, a difficulty, it's not really learning. It's, it's just being taking steps forward and, and dealing with it and accepting and take responsibility. How have you found those, I suppose, how have you learned those lessons? What have you? What do you do when you reflect? Do you reflect? Do you take some time out? Do you journal? What, what's your techniques that enable you to go back and think, okay, what did I learn? How can I learn from that scenario? Well, I listen to a lot of podcasts, um, and like they ask a lot of questions on the podcast that are quite interesting, and I'm like, well, how would I answer that question? And I think about this, and I'm like, well, I come up from this perspective, and like – I don't journal, I'm afraid. I probably should. I've known a lot of people that do do that, but it's not something I do. Um, but like reflecting on that, and also swimming, I swim a lot. And swimming is wonderful because it's the only time in life where you don't have any outside influences. No music, no screens, no outside influence. Save those pesky backstrokers, Julian. Those pesky backstrokers are a bit of an odd nuisance, but that's okay. <laughs> you go in the pool and you just untangle stuff in your mind. And like it's a wonderful place where you just have some calm, some peace. And you just lap after lap. I've got a lap counter, which counts your laps. Does just what it says in the tin. But you untangle stuff in your mind. And you think about one thing when you're in the pool, like, what about this? And lap after lap, you chip away at this idea, this problem, and you untangle it. Um, that's how I've kind of addressed this and come to terms with this stuff. But I don't, I don't do anything, like, too formal in terms of, like, how to unpack my lessons and stuff like this. But it's, it kind of gets teased out over time, if that makes sense. Mm. And I guess doing sort of keynote speeches helps do that as well, because obviously you've got to create that and create the story and the, the lessons and the and obviously people, as you say, people asking you questions almost helps you redefine that and change it and tweak it and get even more nuggets of gold that perhaps you didn't realize until somebody's asked you a question that you never thought of before. I think, oh, that's interesting. I've never thought from that point of view. Um, just as we as we as we finish, um, Dan, um, if somebody's facing a, a, a bit of a tough challenge right now or, or they've been through a, quite a tough period, what advice would you give them to sort of keep going? What would be your your counsel? And not that you know every, everybody's problems right now, but what would be your general counsel to somebody? Like you got to fight. And you can't – if you stop fighting, I can't, I can't help you because that's the most important thing. you got to keep fighting. And it's tough and it may look impossible odds. It may look impossible to get through this, but you got to keep fighting. But keep fighting, I mean, just take the next 
step. There'll be like two options you can take. One easy, one hard. Take the hard one, make it work. Again, take the hard one, make it work. And just keep stacking up little wins. But keep fighting. Because you don't think this is going to break for you, right? Like I was hanging on with my fingertips. My fingernails on the wall. Second brain hemorrhage, man. Like in the hospital bed, like you got to be, I'm hanging on with my fingernails. Like am I going to make it through this? I don't know. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let go. I'm going to keep holding on, keep holding on, keep fighting and take the next step. And like, eventually it breaks, eventually it breaks, man. And like, I'm telling you, it does. And you can be like, well, you don't know my story. Then, Hey, look, I I don't know your story. You're right. But look at my story. Look what I've been through. And like, I'll tell you what I've been through. And like, that's, it does break, but you got to keep going forwards and take that next step. Because if you don't do that, you're hooked and finished. And like, you're, you're saying no for someone else. Don't ever, Cancel yourself out before the world cancels you out. Mm. If I'm going to die, I'm going to be dying because I'm not good enough to do it and not because I didn't try hard enough. So I'm going full tilt at this now and we'll see what happens. But like, I'm never going to die because I've given up myself. I'll die because I'm not good enough to do it. Mm. Yeah, I like that advice. That's good. Uh, just to keep <clears throat> keep pressing on, keep taking those next steps, whatever they may be. Um, your story is very inspirational, uh, Dan, and it's been great having you on the show and I appreciate you sharing and there's probably lots you could share. And um, yeah, it's, it's yeah very inspiring and, and I appreciate your time. Um, if people want to sort of connect with you, get in touch with you, what's the best way of doing that? Yeah. Thanks Julian. So McQueenDan.com, M-A-C-Q-U-E-E-N, Dan.com. And McQueenDan across the socials, Instagram, Twitter. Thank you. Well, thank you for your time today, Dan. Appreciate you, Julian. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you like this episode, then please rate, review, and share it with your friends and colleagues. As a coaching practice, I coach high-performing leaders and teams with extreme ambitions, and it will help you go beyond what you believe is possible. If this sounds like you, then let's have a conversation. You can contact me at julianrobertsconsulting.com.